Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. So excited about this morning. If you have a Bible, jump to Ephesians chapter 5, the marriage chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. I'm going to read a little bit for us, and then we will watch the greatest love story of all time, and, uh, and then we'll talk. So that's where we're going. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Ladies, it's your favorite verse. Men, it's your favorite passage as well. Okay. Starting verse 21, actually. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ah, there's the tagline. Okay. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We're going to talk about marriage today, and I feel like the best way to jump off this uh, this sermon is with really the greatest love story ever told, the first love story I ever watched played out before me, and it comes from a simple film that we all know and love, or if you don't know and love it, you will by this afternoon. Okay. is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. Then love, true love, will follow you forever. I treasure your wife. Skip to the end. Have you the wind? Here comes my Wesley now. Your Wesley is dead. I killed him myself. Then why is there fear behind your eyes? Under you, Princess Barakwap. Man and wife, say man and wife. <laughs> man and wife. Escort the bride to the honeymoon suite. I'll be there shortly. He didn't come. Oh. For those of you very confused at why I showed you that 80s flick, that is the movie The Princess Bride, and it is a love story. You have young Wesley, who, uh, who basically just said, as you wish, as a young farm boy, and then they grow, and then they separate, and she has this hope that they will come back together. That's what she's longing for. That's what she's looking for, and that's why you see a reticence in her to marry this guy who's obviously forcing her to get married. And he's ready. And I think that's true. That for some of us, there's a reticence to get married. And for others, there's a, there's a readiness. 
For some of you, we're still waiting to find that one, that one that we can connect with and, and be with together. And there's others of us that are just ready to like, just say you're together, you know, and you may go to a wedding over this season. You may probably go to the wedding of one of your friends and that pastor will drone on and on and on about marriage and what it's like. And you're just like, just say I do and let's be done and let's go. And, and for some of you, you're ready to jump in. For others of you, you're more reticent to jump in. And I'll tell you what, marriage is amazing. It's beautiful, but it's also a little bit complicated. There's missed expectations, and so there's something that I want us to do in this last time together. We're talking about dating, relationships, singleness, and lastly, marriage. I, w- I want us to talk about what does it look like to jump into marriage? What, what should we have in our minds when we're making this life-changing decision? So today, I just want to give us three pieces. I want to give us a perspective on marriage. I want to give us some things to prepare into jumping into marriage. And lastly, I want to talk about a consideration before you're ready to jump in. So those are the three pieces I want to talk about this morning. And it goes three, two, one, jump. That's the sermon outline for you. Three, two, one. There's three perspectives. There's two things to prepare. And there's one thing that you have to have in order to jump in. I tried to go simple um, as much as possible. And here's the fun part about this. We're going to give some time for you to talk to your table hosts about their decision in this process, how they've walked through the deciding uh, terrain and to jump in to their marriage. So I want to give us some time for that this morning. And so the first thing I want to give us of, on perspective is this, the design. The design of marriage is designed by God, and we see that in Genesis 2. I mean, Genesis is an amazing story of the creation of man, and it, it brings Adam right there into the garden, and he's there, and the first thing God gives him is a job. He says, start naming the animals. And as he's naming them, he's like hippo, aardvark, moose. You know, he's naming everything. And, at one, and he's looking at all of them. And he's looking for someone to be a helper suitable. Now, that word helper doesn't mean someone to like, I don't know, carry my pack. It means someone that, that's, that's going to be strong alongside me. Someone to, to make me better than I am. Someone to stand with me as I rule and lead this land. And so the design is... Is, is good to start, but there's the first not good that we get in Genesis 2. And it's not good for man to be alone. He doesn't have anyone to, to be beside him, to help him in the great mission God has called him to. And so he puts him to sleep, pulls out a rib, and he brings a beautiful bride before him. And I think this is key. He brings a beautiful bride before him. He doesn't parade a line. He doesn't give him like an endless array of options. He brings one and he busts into poetry. He says, this is bow to my bone, flesh of my flesh. Whoa, man, this is a woman. And I'm, I'm going to unite with her and he's excited to be with her. And in this context of marriage, this design, it was a place where you were supposed to have intimacy and glory. It was in the marriage that you were going to have the greatest intimacy you would ever experience with this other person. I mean, mooses are great. Dogs are man's best friend, sure. But no one can meet you where you need, gentlemen, like a woman. There's a closeness and intimacy that you can have there personally, just emotionally, that you won't have with any other person. It's very, very unique. You can. You have the potential for that. It's also the place where you are supposed to be united intimately sexually. 
It's within this marriage bond between one man and one woman for one lifetime that you're supposed to express and experience that sexual desire that you have. It's, it's within the confines of that relationship that you experience intimacy emotionally, but also intimacy physically. And it's in that place that God designed not only these people to become together, but also for them to have sex. And that's why he gives them this command. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so I'm not gonna draw a diagram. Um, And then it says Adam knew Eve and it became one flesh. And so a man will leave his father and mother and the two shall become one. And so there's supposed to be this intimate connection between a man and a woman where they know each other emotionally, they know each other physically, they become one new unit. And there's something else they're supposed to do to spread the glory of God. In Genesis 1.26, it says this, let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the whole earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And he says, look, there's supposed to be this intimacy to spread my glory. You see, he says that you're gonna be creating the image of God. That means there's an image that God has that he wants spread across the earth. There's his image that he wants infused across the world. And you know how he's gonna do it? Through a couple. Through a married couple, he's bringing them together in love and care and concern. And when they come together, they're gonna have babies. And how are those babies meant to be raised? In the context of a community of mutual love and care and concern. That's how marriage is designed to function. There's boundaries for it. And if we bail on the boundaries, the thing gets broken. And that's what we see in Genesis 3. See, it started good. Hey, we're going to have a loving relationship where we bring more people into this loving relationship. And as people love one another and love their kids, they spread that image of God to the entire world. But something broke in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, you know the story. The woman took fruit that she should not have taken, wanted a life that God did not design for her, and took it and gave it to the dude sitting next to her, right? And then it all broke right there. Whose fault was it? Yes, both, right? It's the woman and the man. And then you see something break into the mix. It says immediately there was shame, and then it turned quickly to blame. The first was shame. They both hid themselves in the garden, right? That was the break. They both hid themselves and they got little fig leaves together and they covered themselves up and there was shame. I, I, I blew it and I'm, I'm terrified of the re- repercussions. And then God says, hey, Adam, what you doing there? He says, uh, I, was, I was naked. I was afraid, so I hid myself. He says, well, who told you you were naked? And then we get blame. The woman you put here gave me fruit, and I ate it. I'm an innocent bystander. I don't know what happened, but it's either your fault for creating the woman or her fault for giving me the fruit. I don't know. I'm innocent here. And that is the start of marriage. 
It happens. I mean, there's something broken in every one of our relationships. There's something there that's not as it should be. And I tell you what, some of the most beautiful moments you'll ever see is that wedding day when when that bride comes and they're excited to be together. But I tell you what, one of the hardest things that you'll see your friends walk to is planning that wedding day. Because you're colliding not merely two individuals with their own sin problems, but two families with their own sin issues too, right? And so they'll be like, oh, okay, what, what kind of, I don't know, where should we have the wedding? Should we do it in a church, outside of a church? I don't know, her mom wants to do this, his mom wants to do that, he doesn't care, she cares a lot, or he cares a ton, she doesn't care a lot, and suddenly there's drama. And then there's, who's going to make the list of people to invite? Who are we going to invite? All right, you have your friends, I have my friends, parents all have their friends. Well, whose party is it? Is it their party for you? Is it you party for you? Who's, who's like, and suddenly conflict enters the equation. Why? Because you're all broken. We're all broken. And that's how marriage is broken today. There's conflict and there's blame and shame that taints the whole system. It's your fault. It's your fault. And so men have a tendency to be passive and overbearing. Women have a tendency to clutch for power. See, Adam at the very beginning was passive. He says, hey, the woman you sent here gave me fruit and I ate it passive. And one of the challenges of sin, he says got to Eve, hey, you will literally want to rule your husband, but he'll dominate you. And in Genesis chapter 4, we see Lamech do the same thing. He says, I'm going to take two wives and dominate these two women. There's a tendency in men to be passive and overbearing. And there's a tendency in women to clutch for power. He says, God says in Genesis 3, hey, your desire will be for your husband, but he'll rule over you. That word desire doesn't, isn't sexual. It's the same word for desire that we get in Genesis 7 when God is talking about sin to Cain. He says, look, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to overtake you, but you must overtake it. It's the desire to overcome, to overwhelm, to, to shift it in a new direction, to overcome you. And I tell you what, there's a tendency in women to try to take power, take authority, control their own life and destiny. And there's a tendency in men to be passive or overbearing. And I see it breaking marriages. There's shame and blame. Well, you should do this. You should do that. And it pervades every marriage. That's why 50% of marriages fail that we see. And that's why our kids growing up, there was a study on high school students. It asked this question, hey, is is marriage the path toward greatest happiness in your life? And here's what was interesting. Young women have seen their faith in marriage capacity to deliver happiness fall markedly over the past 30 years. Over the past 30 years, they study, hey, is happiness pursued in relationships, for women in particular, they went, no, 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 and they dropped by 10 percentage points over the past 30 years. More and more people don't trust marriage, so they're marrying later. They're embracing alternative lifestyles, and sexual intimacy is something that's nice, but I can get it some other place, no longer in marriage. And I think the reason for that is because we've seen so much brokenness, we don't know how it's supposed to work. We know it should be designed to be good, someone to to love one another, to care for one another, and raise kids together in this context of communal love, but we haven't seen that for many of us. Many of us are from broken families. We've seen broken relationships, and we're like, I'm not sure. And the fear of brokenness has made us reticent to step in. 
So for the rest of our time this morning, I really want to give us the picture. What is the picture of God's design for marriage? And we grab it in Ephesians 5. It's a picture of more than just a man and a woman being together on a pretty day. It's about these people uniting for something bigger than any one of them could do alone. And the, the picture of Ephesians 5 is this, of a, of a loving wife who submits to her husband and a loving husband who lays down his life for his wife. That's it. Ephesians 5 verse 22 says, Why submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives who submit to their husband and everything. And I read that, and I know there's so many ladies in the room that are terrified of that idea. That's just scary. And I tell you why. Because you've all seen men abuse their power. We've all seen men not lead in the way that they should. We've seen men take their authority and use it to oppress, not to, to bring to life. But I'll tell you what. As a man, there's something beautiful when my wife allows me to lead. There's something amazing when she supports me. Ladies, I don't know how much, if you know how much power you have. You have the power, ladies, to, to support and, and make a guy charge higher hills or completely deflate him. You have the power with your simple words, you're so good at them, to make us come to life or to literally crush us. I mean, when a woman says, hey, that is a good idea, you watch the dudes in the room. Like, if that's your idea, you're like, okay, did you all hear that? Okay, all right, all right, all right. When a woman simply says, hey, you know what? You did that really well. I don't care if you're dating in a relationship or not. Just a woman saying, hey, you know what? You did that really well. All of a sudden, that dude's like, you know what I'm talking about. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's something within the dude that just goes, that's what I'm talking about. Just with those simple words. His buddy says, hey, you did awesome. High five. Doesn't care. You, all of a sudden, woman say, you did a great job. There's something that, that rises in, up, in us. It's amazing. And when a woman says, hey, I love when you did that. <sighs> there's something within a dude that just goes, that's what I'm talking about. I'm going to do that eight more times before I go to sleep tonight. I'm going to continue to do whatever that is. Is it planting a garden, building a house? I don't care. I'll do eight more over the next five minutes. But I'll tell you what, there's something that a woman can say that will crush a man, that will completely deflate us. If you say, that was dumb, you're making bad decisions, or you're on your own, there's nothing that can def completely deflate a man than a woman who will not help lead a woman that steps aside. And I'll tell you what, it, the, the picture of an azer is, is the same word, a helper, that was given to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit calls himself a helper. I will, I will walk alongside and help this man be all that he can be. And that is the potential of a phenomenal wife. To stand beside him and help him to be better than he could ever be alone. And I'll tell you what, my wife does that for me. And it energizes me, it excites me, it makes me want to do more. Men, your call is to die. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Christ love the church? He gave everything. He gave it all. 
I mean, it, it wasn't just that he gave when it met his needs or it felt advantageous. He gave out of, out of the deepest part of himself. He gave everything. When I was in Florida, I did ministry there for a little while, and I was sitting with a couple, a married couple, and I asked them the question, hey, have y'all read Ephesians 5? And we're just talking about marriage, and they're like, yeah, but we don't really like the submit part, and we don't really understand it. And I said, okay, but look at what he's asking. Women submit, men die. You submit, you sacrifice. You bow down, and you give everything. And I'll tell you what, when you see marriage in that context of, if I'm going to submit to a man who would willingly lay down his life for me, it changes the paradigm. Ladies, if a man was willing to give his entire life for you, would it be difficult allowing him to lead? I remember one story I heard of a, of a, a group of pastors, they were out in this field, and there was a, a hailstorm that blew in quickly. And as they're all standing out there, suddenly everyone's running for cover, but it's a big open field, and so no one can find cover. And so as they're, as they're running to the field, all of a sudden the hail gets harder and thicker and falling. And so one of the pastors takes his wife, puts her underneath him, covers her, and as the wife tells the story, she heard the concussive blow of the hail hit him in the head. And his last conscious thought was to put his body over hers and take the hits to protect her. Ladies, would you have problems submitting to a man like that? Some of you guys are going, dude, I hope there's a hailstorm later today, right? I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> and when you know your man is looking for your best interest, he's going to sacrifice his rights so that you can thrive. He's going to sacrifice his goals so that you can win. He's going to sacrifice his future to support you and this new family. When he's willing to do that, that is a man worth submitting to. And I tell you what, that is the picture that God wants us to have. But our culture doesn't paint that picture. Our culture paints the picture of two people living their life in their own direction, choosing their own will. And ironically, Tim Keller writes this in the book, The Meaning of Marriage. He says, ironically... The new view of marriage actually puts a crushing burden on the expectations of marriage and on spouses in a way that more traditional understandings never did. And it leaves us desperately trapped between unrealistic longings for my own goals, my own aspirations, and leaves us terribly afraid of what marriage could be. You see, the thing is, marriage is supposed to be two people willingly laying down their lives for one another. And if we live that picture, that's a picture the world needs to see. So three perspectives. It's designed by God. It's broken by sin. But it's supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. And I'll tell you what, men. Your career might need to change based on the path that your wife wants to go. Your sleep will be lost your hygiene practices will need to be adjusted. Plans on how to spend weekends will shift. Hobbies will be lost. Why? Because love, and love requires sacrifice. Ladies, your goals might need to shift. Your ideals will need to change. Your expectations on cleanliness might need to adjust a little bit. But as you do, the two begin to be formed to one. So what is it in preparation that we need to put into place? And I'm going to be very simple with this, very simple on, on the preparation. The first preparation is this, spiritual. 
And that's what he says in Ephesians 5, verse 26. Now that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. Men, what does that mean? It means you, first of all, need to be diving in spiritually to know the word of God so that you can have a biblical paradigm in how to lead your family, so that you know the words of God of how he wants us to to frame marriage, how he wants us to live life, and, and you have that in your mind before you step in. So you spend time reading a marriage book. You spend time listening to the Good Marriage podcast. You shape yourself to be ready to jump in. Ladies, that means you read a marriage book. That means you think about how you want this marriage to go. You think about how to lead a family, how to support your husband. You walk in ready. You don't wait to just figure that out, hopefully, by osmosis, by being married to this person. It won't happen. So you read together. You think about this, how to structure a marriage well. There's spiritual preparation in it. And secondly, there's financial preparation. There's financial preparation. It says this, verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, money, cherishes it, money, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. How do you love and cherish a body? You feed it, you clothe it, you care for it, you shape it, you work on it, and all that requires a financial plan. So the first step to being ready is to be ready financially. That means you get a job. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What is the call on men? Get a job because you cannot live on love alone. It doesn't work, all right? And so I'll tell you for me, as I was, uh, my wife and I dated for an eternity. She was 14, I was 16 when we started dating in high school. We dated through college, and it got to the point of after, I don't know, seven years, it was like, I think we need to move toward marriage. I'm like, that's a great idea. Kevin has no money in the bank. I could even buy oh, an engagement ring because I had no money. And I said, okay, what am I going to do to prepare myself for this? And so I, I did an internship in Austin uh, in, a, in college ministry before I, I moved to College Station. So I did that internship, and they paid like breadcrumbs, and so I had no money from that. And my wife was starting veterinary school here at A&M. And, and so I said, okay, she's making no money. I'm going to make no money. What am I going to do? And so literally, I'm like, okay, I guess I got to get a job teaching or something like that. With my degree and my future, I was like, I guess I'm going to get a job teaching. Where could I teach? I don't know, probably Houston. And so I literally start walking through the process of finding a job in Houston so I have financial security to care for my wife. And how am I going to transport from Houston to College Station? I'll make it work. And I'm walking through this whole process, praying about it, talking to some friends of mine, and they say, okay, now I got some connection to College Station. There's a church there that is looking to hire a, a youth pastor or a youth director. So, so once you talk with them, I talk with Brian Fisher over at Anderson. They hire me. I get a job. And then I'm ready to move forward in marriage. It was crucial. And it doesn't mean you make a ton of money. I made peanuts working for the church. Like, it was, it was not a lot of money. But it was enough to sustain us. 
And I'll tell you what, in the business world, I, I think so often we, we, we think of this idea, this romanticized vision of life where, where I'm just going to like follow my heart and I'm just going to do what my heart says. And so if I don't like my job, I'm going to cut and run that job and just jump into the next job. But gentlemen, Tarzan never left one vine before securely grabbing the next vine. That's a smart move, right? He grabs one vine, grabs the next one, and then keeps on going. And I hear from so many guys, they're just like, hey, man, I just don't like my job. It's not going in a good direction. I'm just going to quit and trust God. Negative. God gave you a job, or as he needs you to get a job, you're going to care for yourself and for your wife, and you're going to be fine in that. And it may not be the perfect job, but that's okay. You're going to hold that vine, and then as you look for more opportunities, you grab the next one, because it is much more attractive as a business owner to hire someone that's employed. It is. It's easier for an employed person, no matter what the job, to get a new job. So all I'm saying is, get a job. That's the big idea. Prepare financially to care for this person. In the book Quitter by John Acuff, he says, look, don't quit your day job until your dream job is getting close to matching your current income. Don't just quit. Be ready. Don't try to say, I'm going to live on love. It will not happen. And I'll tell you what, financial frustration are some of the biggest problems married couples face. So you be smart you be wise. You prepare spiritually. You prepare financially. And the last piece I would give you on that is to do some premarital counseling. If you're engaged, here's what's awesome about premarital counseling. My wife and I did this. It was so helpful. You had people that are older and wiser ask you questions you don't want to answer. Like, where's your bank statement? Have you been honest about your school debt? Have you been honest about your, fam- your history of family problems? Have you talked through all of these things? And the answer from a lot, oftentimes is not really. But premarital counseling will help shape both of you to say, hey, this is our past. This is where we broke it. This is the next steps that we can walk through together. So if you're engaged, premarital counseling is a must. I strongly, strongly encourage you to do that. Two things to prepare. And lastly, lastly, the one thing to jump into. The one thing to get ready for the plunge. Verse 5, 31 through 33 says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the last piece. The two will become one flesh. And for most of us guys, I I tell you what, what I've seen over and over and over again, there's a fear to jumping in. In fact, I read one article um, by ABC News. They were quoting the National Marriage Project, and they gave 10 reasons why men are slow to commit. And here's your top 10 reasons. They can get sex without marriage more easily than times in the past. They can enjoy the benefits of having a wife by cohabitating rather than marrying. They want to avoid divorce and its financial risks. They want to wait until they have, they're older to have children. Five and six are the big ones. They fear that marriage will require too many changes and compromises. Number six, they are waiting for the perfect soulmate, and she hasn't yet appeared. And in your dreams, she never will, okay? Number five and six are crucial, gentlemen. We fear that we're going to change, and we're waiting for that perfect person 
that won't change us. That individual doesn't exist. In fact, the National Marriage Project quotes, it says, more than a few men expressed resentment at women who try to change them. Some of the men describe marital compatibility as finding a woman who will fit into their life. If you are truly compatible, then you don't have to change, one man commented, which is not true. And in Tim Keller's book, um, The Meaning of Marriage, he writes this. Here's something that all married people know that people going into marriage don't know. You never marry the right person. You never do. Why? Because you marry a sinner that has to change. That's the woman and the man. You never marry the right person. And you're not necessarily the same person later on in marriage. Your desires at 23 are not the same at 53. They're not. You're a different person. When Hillary and I started dating when she was 14 and we got married when she was 23, that time frame, she changed. The things you want at 14 are not the same as the things you want at 23. They're not. And I'll tell you what, over that time frame in life, every seven years, here's what's true, your body completely replaces, replaces every one of its cells, right? You get a completely new body every seven years. And I'll tell you what, at least every seven years, so do your desires, the things that you totally wanted at 25, you, don't, you want something different at 32. At 40, you want something different than you wanted at 30. Life changes. And so when you marry someone, you commit to this person regardless of what the changes are going to come. And you commit to this process. And so you're committing to what? I'm committing to this relationship. And you don't know what will happen. Here's the crazy part about marriage. You don't know the future. All you know is God and them right now. But what are you committing to? I can't commit to you being healthy because you may not be. I can't commit to the fact that we're going to have kids and raise a family together because you might not be able to. You can't commit that, <laughs> that you won't go through a major personality change midway through life. You don't know the challenges that will come into this relationship, but here's what you can commit to. Them and this relationship. I'm committing to this marriage more than anything else. So you may ask me, well, Kevin, was there ever a moment in marriage when you were afraid of the commitment you just made? I'm glad you asked that question because yes. We dated almost nine years before we finally got married. So uh, either I had major commitment issues or I was really committed to this person for a long time. Okay, I don't know either one, but it was almost nine years. She was 14, I was 16. So we had to go through a lot of life changes. But I remember three months into getting married, I was laying beside my new wife in bed and I was mad about something. I don't even know what it was. Unmet expectations, whatever. And I'm laying on my side of the bed saying to myself, I'm not even gonna touch her. I'm not gonna cuddle her. I'm just mad. And I'm literally laying on my side of the bed just thinking these thoughts in my head. And then I thought to myself, I'm stuck. I'm trapped. There's, there's, there's no way out of this. And I'm literally laying there on bed just playing this out. I'm not going to touch her, and I'm trapped. And I'm just like, the covers are too tight now. And I'm just laying there just going, what am I going to do? And, 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 I, and as I'm playing down my mind, I'm like, you're, you're mad at dumb things, but you committed to this thing. 
You may be mad at dumb things, but you committed to this thing. And I tell you what, the commitment to the person and to the relationship is more important than any frustration you'll face. And you will. That person will change. You'll change. But what will not change is I'm committed to you through whatever change we face. So what's the perspective? Hey, it's from, it's from God. It's broken. It's going to be hard. But it's meant to picture Christ. What do I prepare spiritually, financially? I'm going to be smart. I'm going to be wise. I'm not going to be a billionaire, but I'm going to, I'm going to care for her, care for him. And lastly, you commit. I'm committing to you. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm ready to grab your hand and jump in with you. That's how you know you're ready for the plunge. So to close up our time together, I'm going to have two, uh, two couples, um, One's, one's a half couple and uh, another couple to, to talk about how they, how they met their one. And because uh, once you pick them, there's your one. And then how, it, how they knew that they were uh, ready to commit to this person. And so would you welcome Steve Moffat and Eric and Caitlin Newman. Okay, Steve, I'm let you go first. So Sarah's sick, and so wasn't able to make it. But um, how did did she? <laughs> how did y'all know y'all were ready to jump in to this relationship? The, the downside of her not being here today is you don't get to her perspective. The upside is that I can say whatever I want. Boom. And I won't get in trouble when I get home. So. Boom. <laughs> Unless my two kids rat me out. <laughs> corner, so. um, you know. <laughs> I think that the way that we knew that we were ready to get married, we had both come through a series of several years of what I would say meaningless relationships. Mm. Um, for me, relationships that, that just all well, meaningless, they just were from one to the next. For her, it was a series of relationships where guys just didn't treat her with respect and treat her like she should have been treated. And while mm. we, when we both got to the point where we had dated for about a year and were thinking about marriage, we realized that in each of us, and the way that I treated her, I treated her with respect, and she finally had realized that. And for me, I finally had someone that treated me for, for who I was, who loved me for who I was, and who encouraged me to be the best person that, um, or be the person that God wanted me to be. And the same, I did the same for her. So I think at that point, we knew that we were right for each other, that it was time to get married. We talked through a lot of the issues, kids, you know, I wanted two, she wanted four. We have four. Um, mar marriage does change. <laughs> um, just, but things where we felt spiritually where God was calling us to ministry, we were different in that. Um, there was a lot of things that were different, but we also aligned on a lot of things that we felt like were most important. That was just how we want our family to grow, to know the Lord, to mm -hmm. walk with the Lord, and what we wanted to be plugged in in a local church and things like that. So it was pretty clear after a year that we were right for each other um, 17 and a half years later. We're here, so. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks so much. Give me a hand. Thank you. Howdy, I'm Eric. This is my wife, Caitlin. We're best known for sitting at that table right there mm -hmm. every week. Um, <laughs> we met in college. We were friends at A&M. Uh, we can't actually remember when we met, but we, we had no interest, <laughs> and, and that's because we... We were just friends. We didn't really have an interest in dating each other at that time. We were more concerned about trying to win intramural basketball championships, which we did <laughs> twice. <laughs> and 
Uh, we both graduated from A&M. She started graduate school right after that, and I took a job here in College Station. So we were still in the same town, and uh, all of our other friends left, but we hung out a little bit uh, from time to time. Still just friends, though. And then she graduated grad school a year and a half later and moved out to California and took a great job there. And she came back for a graduation party about six months later, and we reconnected. And I said, man, she's, she's getting better with time. You know, she hasn't... <laughs> She didn't peak in college. Even better, even better. So we, uh, so I asked her on a date then. I had great timing. Five and a half years in the same city, and then I waited till she moved away and asked her out. <laughs> and so we got to date long distance, which was tough, and I know a lot of y'all are dealing with that or looking ahead and seeing that that might be happening, but we were really thankful for it. We had to learn how to communicate because that was basically all we could do. And uh, then Caitlin got a magical call one day that, to take a job here, and she took it. Uh, and then we continued dating, and I asked her to marry me about eight months after that, and we got married eight months after that. We've been married for a year and a half. So how do we know? Oh. So that, the second question, which is how did you know, I think we both kind of agree there's never like a moment we were like, done. We know, but we were really confident in how we walked through the dating relationship um, through communication, um, got to know each other really well through each other's character and just those different pieces. But I think one of the biggest pieces, and Kevin's talked about this, is we invited a lot of people into our relationship mm -hmm. to to kind of hold us accountable through a home group that we got uh, plugged into and older married couples that we wanted to learn from and um, just got to communicate through that. And so we really felt like that was a big piece of it. We were confident that we were ready to um, just kind of go into the world together because we knew we could be a more powerful force for good um, together than separate. We also had kind of established our own um, identities in Christ uh, as well as just in our in our jobs and in our families and um, and so we weren't really you know wanting to put it on one another um, but it's great we still you know a year and a half in we learn something new every day from how to load the dishwasher correctly <laughs> <laughs> to you know <laughs> there is a way I promise to how to process you know information and process different life events so we've enjoyed that but that's awesome yeah the bottom line is we were we, we knew we had some stuff to accomplish in life, and I was trying to do that when I was single, and I looked at her, and she was trying to do that too, and um, we were able to now partner and do that together. So awesome. we're really happy. That's awesome. Hey, thank you so much, guys. Give both these guys a hand. Sarah was supposed to share as well, but she got sick this morning, and so pray for Sarah Moffitt. Uh, she gets better quickly. And, uh, but um, we got so many great couples at the table, so much great perspective, and so turn to your table groups and continue these discussions there.